We're going to have scripture reading at this time. Is Miss India in the building? Come on, Miss India. Come on, y'all. Encourage the sister that she. I got to help a preacher preach and a reader read. Ain't that right? Amen. Come on, somebody. Good morning, Bethel. Good morning. Okay, I will be reading Matthew 28, 18 from my New Living Bible translation. And it reads as this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Okay. In Spanish, Mateo 28, 18, de mi reina Valera, Biblia, la revisión del 1960. Y Jesús se acercó y les habló diciendo, toda protestad me es dada en el cielo y en la tierra. Amen, amen. I don't know if I'm the only one, but I'm so glad that there's no snow uh, today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's already hard enough to get up for church. Snow doesn't help. Amen. Can we just be honest this morning? It helps when the sun is shining, you know. But nevertheless, we are, we are here. Are anybody ready for the word of God? All right. That's why we're here. Amen. A broken down mansion has become a home for broken souls. A mansion in Ohio was the former home of heavyweight champion boxer Mike Tyson. Y'all know who Mike Tyson is, right? I still got y'all ear, right? I'm just messing around. I'm just messing around. It was the uh, church jokes. I don't know. I'm just trying to keep y'all here, all right? Home of a heavyweight champion boxer Mike Tyson. It was donated several years ago to Living Word Sanctuary Church. Since then, church members have been cleaning up the property bit by bit in a bid to reclaim it for the Lord's work and hope to have it ready by the end of last year. Pastor Nichols spoke to the local Warren Tribune's Chronicle about the blessing. The property has been untouched for 10 years. You had so much grass, you could have sold it for hay. Local records say that Tyson owned the property between 1989 and 1999. And if you get that other mic up here, I may need that. 1999. And it was a refuge for him in 1995. After having served prison time. Thank you, brother. At 25,000 square feet, the property is a huge step up from the YMCA, where the church currently holds services. The indoor pool area will become the sanctuary. A four-car garage will become areas for youth ministry and child care. And the second floor of the house will be for church offices in a conference room. Can you imagine that? The things that those who don't believe in God build, sometimes God will take it and give it to his own people. The living word pastor is convinced the Winfield is a work of divine providence. Friends, but as amazing as this story is, saints taking hold of a mansion to do the work of the Lord. Watch it now. What is even more amazing, church, is one day you and I 
will own and take possession of the entire creation. Oh, you didn't get excited. I say the day is coming when we will own more than 25,000 square foot of property, but the day is coming when all of creation will be ours. Yes, the souls that were once broken, the souls that were once trampled on, the souls that were made fun of for calling on the name of Jesus will one day inherit the world. The day is coming when the world will be an entire sanctuary for God and his people. But I'm afraid this morning we don't celebrate this enough. I'm afraid this morning we celebrated Easter last week, but I don't think we fully grasp how Easter has changed the game. We came in our Sunday best. We ate our Sunday dinners. We sung beautiful songs. But I don't think that we fully comprehend the magnitude of Jesus walking out of that grave. We treat it like the national anthem. Right before sporting events, there's always the playing and singing of the national anthem. It is a tradition, and it happens before kickoff or tip-off, or whatever it is. It is a time of reflection and remembrance. But once the game starts, I promise you, no one is thinking about the national anthem. Steph Curry ain't thinking about the national anthem as he drains yet another three. And LeBron James. For y'all who ain't here, I had to let some of the hard feelings get out because I didn't want that to stop my brothers and sisters from hearing the word. But I did say LeBron James. As he ducks another basket, is not thinking about the national anthem. The national anthem is a nice tradition, but it doesn't at all affect how the game is played. For many of us, that's Easter. It's a nice tradition we do annually, but it has no impact on Monday when the game of life starts. Who am I preaching to this morning? Friends, Easter is over now. But now what? How does Easter impact the game of life even seven days later? We must understand Easter was the inauguration of Jesus' kingdom, not the end. Therefore, if it's not the end, it is the beginning of our celebration. When Jesus rose from the dead, he took back everything the devil stole in the garden. Maybe you didn't know that. But when Jesus got up, we got our life back. Jesus intended the implications of his resurrection was not so that we could put on pretty dresses and put on nice slacks and do Easter egg hunts, nor was it intended to be reduced to reflection and remembrance only. Instead, the resurrection was intended to change the world in lives by reconciling everything back to God. Okay, y'all stay with me, because I want you to get the magnitude of this. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was not just reconciling us, 
but he was reconciling everything and is reconciling everything back to God. And reconciling, Jesus is putting everything back under the order and rule and reign of God. Well, friends, that's the issue with life. Is that when we live outside of the order and rule and reign of God, you got a mess. But when things are under the order and rule and reign of God, I didn't need an illustration. All you got to do is just look at your life. You know how it is. When you're on the outside of God's order, you're a hot mess. But when you're under God's order, things look a little bit better. Jesus is bringing everything back into order. The resurrection hits different when we understand Jesus is not just a savior, but he is a king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. I know we say it, but do we live like we believe it? The king of kings and the Lord of lords. That'll preach right there by itself. Rick, I'm trying to contain myself. Listen to what Jesus declared shortly after the resurrection. Watch this. Almost blew my mind. Made me fall back in my seat. Check this out. In Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, let me say it one more time. And Jesus said to them, this is the 11 on top of the mountain. He did tell them that he would be back from the dead, and he kept his word. And he told them to meet him on top of this mountain, and they met him there. And he declared this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, what does that mean? The resurrection is proof Jesus is king of the earth. His resurrection is living proof, see what I did there, that he is the king of the universe. Now, if you're going to be called the champ, you got to beat the champ. Death was the champ. Death was the defending champ the first Easter weekend. We celebrated last week that Jesus defeated death by death, and to death lost its power. When he rose on the third day, he rose as a king, he rose as a champ, and he came back like, I'm boss in the game, homie. Everybody move over. I'm back. Because he defeated death. God the Father crowned him absolute sovereign supreme Lord over all right now. Did you know Daniel prophesied about this before it happened? One of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible is able to see the future and tell us what is going to happen because you know the Bible is the word of God and God is able to tell us something is going to happen even before it happens because he's omniscient and that's just part of being God. You live outside of time. He is eternal. He has no beginning nor, nor, nor an end where we are restricted by time. God is not restricted by time because he is the creator. 
creator of time. And I'm so thankful, if I could just pause here parenthetically, that I serve a God that is outside of time, that is able to see the beginning all the way to the end, because that's the kind of God that we serve. He defeated death, and Daniel prophesied about this. When Jesus tells his disciples, all authority has been given unto me, he is actually alluding to the glorious figure of the Son of Man who is in Daniel 7, chapter 7, verse 14. Here's how it says it. Into him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom. Now watch it. That all people, nations, and languages should serve him. I hope you caught that. Just in case you think getting with Jesus means that Jesus is your little genie in the bottle. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. When God takes his rightful place as king, no one else is coming after him. His kingdom has no end. It will be forever. And Jesus is saying on that mountain to his disciples after the resurrection, the one who Daniel prophesied about, that's me. I'm the one Daniel saw. I'm the one that God the Father has given all things to. I'm the one who has all authority in his hand. It has all been given to me, and I'm in charge here. And friends, Jesus is king, whether you believe it or not. I just want to remind you that Jesus doesn't become king because you deem him necessary. Jesus doesn't become king because you say so. Jesus doesn't become king because you woke your cute self up this morning and decided to submit to his reign and rule. Jesus is king whether you believe it or not. I love the way David Platt puts it, and he puts it straightforward. Just as the green, just as the grass is green outside, whether or not you believe it, Jesus is Lord, the absolute authority, sovereign rule, majestic king over your life, whether or not you believe it. I'm not asking you to believe that he's king. I'm asking you to acknowledge that he's the king. Last Sunday, friends, was more than tradition. It was more than brunch. It was more than cute clothes. But it was the rising of a new king and the ushering in of a new kingdom. Jesus has taken over. But hold on, Pastor. I hear that, and that sounds cute, but when I look around, it don't look like Jesus running things. When I look at my life, when I look at my situation, when I look at the world, if this is what it looks like for God to be running things, then I don't think you got the right God running things. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because a lot of people would argue that it doesn't seem that God's kingdom has arrived. Well, in one sense, that is true. In another sense, that is not true. We live in what theologians call the already not yet. The already not yet. The kingdom of God is present in future. 
it is here and it has not yet arrived. This is why we still pray, thy kingdom come. Stay with me. I'm going to make sense of this in a moment. What we are witnessing right before our eyes is the fading away of one kingdom and the rising of another kingdom. Come here, Mufasa. Help me out. One day, Mufasa told his little boy Simba, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise upon yours as the new king. Well, the sun is already setting on one kingdom. Which kingdom? The kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world is fading away. The kingdom of the world is whatever rules and has power in the world. We see this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He says he defines the world as the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. This is the kingdom of darkness. It's, a, it's about mankind. Mankind is in the center. It's about what we want. It's about, it's about our glory. It's about, it's about what we love. And friends, I came to tell you that that kingdom is fading away. That kingdom is about a rebellion against God. And we all see it all around us, right? We see the decay of love thy neighbor. Everything is dying and wasting away. One look on Facebook, one look on Snapchat, one look at the news, and we will see that God's kingdom is not fully here. Injustice and systemic sin, mass incarceration of minorities has played into the decay of cities like Gary, and the name of Jesus is trampled on and disregarded every single day. God's kingdom is not fully here. But understand, after the resurrection of the Son of God, the sun started setting on one kingdom and rising and will someday consummate us rising on the full establishment of God's kingdom. We see this in Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, and I want you to tuck Revelation chapter 11 in your pocket. The seven angels sounded the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world, watch it, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This is future tense. And he will reign forever and ever. Let me read that line again. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. What is this verse saying? that things will someday return to the way they are supposed to be. That someday things will return to the way they are supposed to be. And you ought to rejoice in your seat because no matter what hell you're going through, someday all pain will be gone away. All sickness will be gone away. All theft will be gone away. All lying will be gone away. One day the things that are not perfect will be gone. When will that happen? When God's kingdom is fully established. And it is coming, friends. And it is coming right before your eyes. God's kingdom will crush the kingdom of this world one day. And I love the way Kevin D. Young illustrates it. He says we are living 
in the middle of the inauguration. Here's the analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, so don't press it too far. But it's kind of like election day and inauguration day. In this country, the president is elected on the first Tuesday in November. But his presidency doesn't officially begin until January 20th. He's won. His opponent has been defeated. It's all in the papers and on social media. The whole country is preparing for the transition. The winner starts forming his cabinet and putting together his administration. The new era has begun, but on the other hand, it hasn't. See, in one sense, we live in the time between the election and the inauguration. Christ has defeated sin and Satan and death. And we tell people the king has risen and the kingdom of God is here. And in a real sense, it is here. And in another sense, it is not here. Okay. So, Dex, we live in the already, not yet. So how is God's kingdom here already? Well, I'm glad you asked and I'm glad that you're paying attention. So let me tell you how God's kingdom is already here. God's kingdom is already here in the hearts of his children. God's kingdom is already here in the hearts of his children. His kingdom is already here in the hearts of his children. And I get emotional here because it's a beautiful thing to know that God's kingdom is pressing forward in this broken sinner's life. That God would see fit to find this body as a dwelling place for his glory and his majesty. The kingdom of God is already breaking through via the life of believers. You see, the kingdom of God is not just a physical kingdom, but is a new way of living. God's kingdom is not just a physical kingdom. We're not talking Disney World here. But God's kingdom is actually a new way of living. Who wants a kingdom with not a new way of living? It's the Sermon on the Mountain. Love your enemies. You still want to be in the kingdom? Love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you. I don't want to do that. You do something to me, I want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You slap me, I want to slap you back. You steal from me, I want to steal from you back. Not God's kingdom. God flips everything upside down, right? He does the very opposite of what the kingdom of man does. In God's kingdom, you put others before yourself. Still want to be part of the kingdom? You got to love that coworker that gets on your nerves. You still want to be in the kingdom? We lay down our lives in this kingdom. We go out our way for people in this kingdom. And here's the issue. Is so many of us don't comprehend that the kingdom of God is a matter of living as well. And so we look forward to heaven while we treat people like trash. And so we're not grasping the full concept of the gospel. You want to get to heaven, heaven needs to be in here first. It needs to be pushing its way out. If that's not happening, you need to examine yourself because you may not be part of the kingdom that is to come, that is already here. Because in this kingdom, we give to the poor. 
In this kingdom, we care how we treat our women. In this kingdom, we care about our marriages. In this kingdom, we care about our children. In this kingdom, we care about injustice. In this kingdom, we love for real. The kingdom of God means leaving out, living out God shalom here on earth. And I figured you may not believe me, and you may still have that Disney picture in your head, but I'll let you argue with God this morning. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Any of us that joyfully call him Savior must joyfully call him King. And we celebrate him dying for our sins. And we call on his name when we're in trouble. I need Jesus. And we show up to church when everything is caving in. And we run to him when when, 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 when we're feeling overly guilty about our sins. And we should do that. But you will also submit to him. Don't act like my my 14-year-old. She loves to call dad when she needs something. But when it comes to obeying my rules, it's a whole nother ball game. And I know when she wants something because she just cuddles up real close to me. And it kind of gets me a little bit. But now I'm on to her. And I just lean over and say, what do you want? Daddy, can I see my cell phone a little bit longer, Daddy? Did you clean the kitchen? No. You ain't getting your phone then. And she wants Daddy to be Savior, but she also must understand if you're in Daddy's household, if you're in Daddy's kingdom, you will obey Daddy's rules as well. And this is what we need to understand, church. That upon salvation, you were transferred to a new kingdom. This is what he says. He has delivered us, Colossians, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved. Friends, we were people trapped in bondage. We were trapped in our sin. We were in pursuit of evil deeds. We had a hopeless condition. We were, we were jacked up. We were messed up. Our sin had us fooled. Our sin had us tricked. And no matter how much we tried to get out of our junk, our junk had a hold on us. And there were some things that I thought that I could just mess with and get out of it. And there's some things that you don't know how much of a stronghold it has on you until you try to get away from it. When you try to run, you ever tried to run from something and all of a sudden you found out that there was a chain there? Well, I came to tell you in your darkness and in your brokenness, it's not that you ran to God, but God stepped into your darkness. God stepped into your mess. God stepped into your junk and he broke your chains and he broke your darkness and he brought you out of the kingdom of darkness. Mm -hmm. We just sung a song, I know it was the blood for me. You know why we sing that so loud and we sing that so proudly, that I know it was the blood because I know it wasn't me. 
Mm -hmm. Did you catch that? Maybe you didn't get that. If you can't say amen, say ouch. The reason why we say we know it was the blood, because when we consider our lives and we consider our resume, there's no way in the world that Dexter Harris got Dexter Harris out of darkness. It had to be something greater, a greater power. And Jesus stepped into that and grabbed me up out of that. So if we are in a new kingdom, we are under a new king. If we are in the new kingdom, we are under a new king. Therefore, we are subject to new laws and rules for living. And this is important that we understand that being in a new kingdom and under a new king comes with new laws and comes with new rules. Let me help you out. It's like playing Uno. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Uno. Any Uno players in the room? And so, so, so if you're going to play Uno, you need to clarify who kingdom you are in. And you need to clarify what rules you are going to play. Hey, y'all, it's going to be some heckling going on because there's some personal stuff up in the room, but y'all just keep looking this way. Can you put a draw two on top of a draw two, or do you got to draw two? Right? Can you swap hands with anybody? I need to know this before we start playing because if I don't know this, it may be a fight. Okay? All right, are we going to put numbers on top of numbers or what? What are we doing here? It's the same thing with spades, or if you play basketball 21, you need to know if it's Indiana rules or if it's Illinois rules. If you don't know, then the whole fight then broke out. The church didn't split because we didn't know which kingdom we were working in. Same thing with spoons, Tim. You got to know, right? We need, we need you to grab two spoons and hand it to your neighbor, or can you just grab one spoon? I need to know these things. All right, I need to clarify these things. And so in a very real and serious sense, as a church, we need to understand that we are under a new king. And we are under his rules. Now let's get personal. Can I, put, can I move past Easter without losing sight of Easter? My question to everyone in the room isn't did you celebrate Easter last week? Not did you celebrate the enthroning of the king? But this week, did you submit to the king? I would ask you to be humbly honest with yourself as you're listening. If I sat with you and I watched a recording of your life this past week, does your words, actions, and attitude testify that Jesus is your king? If I was to ask your wife, is Jesus your king, what would she say? If I was to ask your children, is Jesus Mommy's king. What would she say? If I was to ask your co-workers, which kingdom are you in? What would they say? Friends, Jesus cares about how we treat one another. And oftentimes, we sing about the cross while not aligning our lives with the cross. This week when you got home from work, were you explosive towards your wife because she wanted to have a conversation with you? Can we get real this morning? If we were to go through your DM, would it speak that you are a child of the king? If we were to go through your Facebook page, would it speak to you are a child of the king? We don't just get to call him king. We don't just get to call him savior without submitting to his kingship. Friends, Jesus Jesus doesn't just call us to celebrate his resurrection, but to obey his kingship. 
How foolish would it be to celebrate him rising from the dead and con- continue to submit to something lesser than him? How do, you, how do you shout and praise the one who rose from the dead and then turn around and follow the kingship of something lesser than someone who has risen from the dead? And I say this all the time in the book of John. He walks up to the tomb of Lazarus. No problem. Swag, right? Jesus knows that he's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. Besides, I am the resurrection, right? And he he goes up to the tomb and he calls Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. But put that to the side. What gets me is the people who are there with him, they actually leave and go trick on him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I seen a brother raise somebody from the dead, I'm rolling with him right there. And I know my dead reckoning coming. I need you to do what you did for him for me, all right? When they all gather for me, just come right on up to the thing and say, Dexter, get up. But it makes sense to ride with him. But who are you riding with? It's easy to look at them. But who are you riding with? Are you riding with Jesus? Or are you riding with the world that is fading away? Now, let me be clear. I'm not asking you, do you submit perfectly? Because I also understand that our spiritual salvation is like the kingdom of God. We are already not yet what we will be. Your life is not a straight line with a clean break between old man and new man or non-Christian and Christian. Is anybody with me this morning? As Christians, we still struggle between sin and holiness. Some of us battled that on the way in. What happened is that your life outside of Christ has been converted, regenerated, justified, adopted, all of that, and now you are positionally in Christ. If you remember, Ken talked about this when he preached the sermon on the new new. He talked about how we were positionally in Christ. This explains the New Testament ethics. We are to live in the understanding of who we are in Christ. This is going to free some of y'all. The Bible calls us to be what God has already declared us to be, although we are not fully what God has already declared us to be. And I am being what God has already accomplished me to be on the cross. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation. Make your calling of election sure. In other words, grow into who Christ has made you to be positionally. The church, hold on, the church is to aid in this. The church is not here just for you to come to Sunday service and to hear a sermon. We're here to help you grow up in Jesus. And churches and leaders ought to be unsatisfied that people are walking around 10 years later as baby Christians. There ought to be a desire in us to see you grow up and to know your Lord and to know who you are. And a lot of us are not walking in victory because we don't understand who we are in Jesus. We don't understand what God has done in us and through us, through the power of the gospel. Walk back up to me. Walk walk back up that mountain with me where Jesus had 
his disciples. He charges the church to do something. He tells them to do something. Remember, Jesus comes up to the mountain that he had told his disciples to go to beforehand. And he comes up to them and he announces, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now watch it. Because there's his claim that all authority has been given to me. And from that claim, from that authority, flows his instructions to the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Hold up. You just got out of the grave, right? You just defeated hell, Satan, and sin, and your instructions is to go and make disciples. When a man comes back from the dead and he gives you instructions, you better listen up. Now, hold up real fast. What is a disciple? Let me tell you what it's not. A disciple is not getting someone to sign a card or pray a prayer or join your church. That's not a disciple. That's a churchgoer. What's the difference? Churchgoers can live among the people of the kingdom and not be part of the kingdom. Churchgoers can be around the king and not know the king. But disciples are people who believe what the king believes, and they live what the king has taught them to live. Let me say that again. Disciples are people who believe what the teacher believes, and they live what the teacher has taught them to live. And what I find as a pastor is many people want to come to church, and few people want to be a disciple. Many people want to come to church, but few of us want to be his disciples. Few want to believe what the teacher believes and live how the teacher has taught them to live. But some of this is the church's fault because we have lost focus of making disciples. We have been making event and churchgoers. And you want to know why? Because that's easier. It's easy to get people to come into this building. It's harder to make disciples. So what does making disciples look like? Well, I love the way Ken Berry always puts it. You want to know how to make disciples? Look at Jesus. Jesus did a few things. Jesus made disciples by going, showing, telling, and letting. He made disciples by showing. If we are going to make disciples, we have to open up our lives. We have to open up our hearts to make disciples. This requires you, yes, church, to be relational. We have to get past we're too busy for people. If you're too busy for people, you're too busy doing the wrong thing. Discipleship making requires a transference of life. We see this in Jesus. What is Jesus doing with his disciples? He's kicking it with them. They're taking rides on boats. They're going into houses. They're eating meals together. What is Jesus doing? He's showing them what it is to follow the Father. Oftentimes, Jesus says, my will is to do the will of the Father. Showing them, allowing them to observe his life. Friends, are you opening up your lives so that people can observe your life? So they can see what it is to follow the king? 
Jesus did something else. He did a whole lot of telling. The word of God must be a gravitational pull on our discipleship making. We must spend time discipling people in God's word. Not discipling them on what you believe and what you think, but actually discipling them in the word of God. As a church, we should be walking people through scripture. All of this is part of discipleship. Go and make disciples teaching them everything that I have taught you. But here's the crucial part. Because not only did Jesus show, not only did Jesus tell, but Jesus also let. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that he gave his disciples a chance to be disciples. He showed, he told, and then he got out of the way and let them do it. Do you remember in Matthew when he sends them out two by two? What Jesus is doing is saying, you see what I've done. I've invited you into my life. You've seen how I live. I've taught you the word of God. Now I want you to now go and practice what I practice. Friends, my question to you, who are you discipling? Who are you allowing into your life? Who are you allowing into your inner circle so that they may be influenced by the king? Well, you know what? You're not going to have anybody to, to disciple if you don't go. If you can't say amen, say ouch. God wants us to go. You can't disciple anyone if you don't go get anyone. And how do we get people to disciple? We have to go get them. Does it matter to you that your coworker does not know the king? Does it matter to you that your loved one does not know the king? Does it bother your soul? Do you weep for them at night? And say, oh, God, open the doors of heaven so that they can come and know you. We see this in Jesus as well. Don't forget that Jesus left heaven to come to you. That he left the shining courts of glory to step into your life. Jesus gives us an example that he goes out of his way to come to who? To us. And I think that we can learn a lot from FedEx this morning. Every day, FedEx sends over 4 million packages to value customers. FedEx delivery routes cover every U.S. street and serves more than 220 countries. In order to send well, FedEx has over 170,000 employees. It has 675 aircrafts, 50,000 ground transportation vehicles. 1,800 offices over locations, and it's a bit mysterious, but somehow FedEx has figured out a way for customers to ship packages within a one-day turnaround. If FedEx knows anything, they know how to send well. FedEx has a unique way of looking at the world. FedEx operates with a deep conviction that everyone in the world should have the ability to send and receive packages. And friends, God may not be all too concerned about packages being delivered on time, but the scripture makes it clear that God desires all people to receive the message of salvation and come to a knowledge of truth. Friends, where is God's distribution plan? And we are unique. 
from FedEx because God's distribution plan is his church. And we are unique from FedEx in that we carry a message that delivers itself. When our message gets to the doorstep of people, it delivers souls. The message of the gospel has a way of transforming lives. The message of the gospel has a way of transforming communities. I wish I had some people in the room that knew the power of the gospel has the ability to change lives. Our message delivers men and women from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. My question to you is, what are you waiting on? Sure, you are going to have a million excuses. Sure, you're going to say location is an issue. Sure, you're going to say time is an issue. Sure, you're going to say resources is an issue. But the king has given a command. Will you not make the king's command your top priority? All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. He didn't ask the church. He commanded the church to go and make disciples. Now, here's the beautiful thing. The reason, if you want any motivation to go and make disciples, as I told you, we live in the already not yet kingdom. That God's kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. Well, you know how God's kingdom is going to get fully here. God's kingdom will fully arrive when all those who are meant to be in the kingdom are in the kingdom. And the way that they get in the kingdom is that the church goes and go get them. And through that, God is filling up the kingdom. And God is not going to come back and say everyone that he intends to save is inside of his kingdom. Then the end will come. And friends, I don't know about you, but I can't wait for the end to get here. There's something about the end that get us excited. Oh, yeah, this weekend, y'all know I went to the show. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I just want y'all to know that. But this weekend, I went to go see the end game. Y'all know the end game, that's the... That's the conclusion of the Avengers. That's the big movie that everybody's been waiting on. The end game. People packed the show out. People were lining up. You should have seen it. People had that, that glove on. By that dude named Thaddeus or uh, Thanos or whatever his name is. People got their gloves on, people in line, talking, chittering, and chattering, because everybody is excited to see what happens in the end. Everybody is looking forward to what happens in the end. But here's the thing. After I got done watching the show, after I got done seeing the end, when I stepped into the parking lot, my problems were still there. The drama was still there. But it's crazy how we'll celebrate a fake end. But I came this morning to tell you about the real end and how it really is. And I think that we ought to line up for church because the real end is in the real book. And so if we can line up and put on gloves and dress up and put on makeup for a fake end, and if we can shout for a fake end, you ought to shout for the real end. So let me give you the real end. This is how it's going to go down. And it says this, and we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and was, it usually say to come. But in this instance, 
futurely speaking, he's already came. So ain't nobody else coming. And for, for, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Hold your shout. The nations rage, but your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged and the rewarding of your saints, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyer of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. Friends, let me put it to you simple. When God shows up, he'll take his power and there'll be no more corruption in the world. When Jesus shows up, there'll be no more injustice in the world. When Jesus shows up, there'll be no more sickness in the world. And you may not shout on that because you ain't been sick before. But when you've been sick, you, you shout on that. When, when Jesus shows up, the nations will rage no longer. And we may not shout like that in America over that one because, we, because we're on top. But if you're in other countries and you've been trampled by other countries, then you can't wait for Jesus to show up. Friends, when Jesus shows up, the sin that you struggle with in the inside will be no more. And he'll wipe away every tear. And he'll wipe away every pain. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for the end to come. But you know what? I'm not going to wait to shout for the end to get here. I'm going to shout right now because he's already ruling. And he's already reigning. And it's just a matter of time until he completely takes over. Friends, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. In the end, we win. In the end, we win. When we got to the show last time, we were standing on tiptoes of anticipation because we didn't know what the ending will be. But friends, today, we know what the real ending is. Let me lean in. No more suffering. No more pain. No more injustice. No more weeping. No more death. And the world will be ours. Perhaps you've been thinking about giving up leaving Jesus, can I encourage you to stay on this team? Because this team wins in the end. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. Your marriage has got the best of you. Sickness has got the best of you. I want to open up this altar to you because I want to pray for you. Because friends, can we be honest? It's one thing to know the end. It's another thing to hold on to the end. And that's a whole different ball game in between now and then. But I believe that God would hold on to us even when we don't know how to hold on to him. 